Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. This is about your marriage. You two will have sex together every night for the next 30 nights straight. If I choose you, yeah, yeah. Nonsense! This is the film board, everybody. Uh, uh, over here at the next reel. And uh, I'm Pete Wright. And I am joined by the lovely and talented Steve Sarmento. Good evening. Once a future king. Hi, Steve. Hello. And Andy Nelson. 
He's right over there. Hey, hey, hey. Hi, Andy. And the, the uh, our principal performer tonight is uh, Tom Metz. Tommy Handsome. Hello, Tommy. I'm here, too. Here too. Hi, guys. We're very, Hooray. Oh, we're very excited to be uh, sitting here talking about it. We've been talking about this for a long time, and then there was a period where we couldn't talk about it that was very much a secret, and now we can talk about it again. It's finally here, your uh, feature film, Tom. 30. My feature film debut. Yes, it yes. is. 30 Nights Ooh. of Sex to Save Your Marriage. We have to use the whole thing? We do. Well, no, from now on, we can call it 30 Nights. The original title was 30 Nights, and then our sales agents, Shoreline Entertainment, who we got picked up from, said, hey, do you want, like, a shot? <laughs> put, the word, put, put the word sex in it, especially, apparently, for international audiences. They're like, put the word sex in it, and it'll change your life. Their idea was just 30 Nights of Sex. And I was like, well, I do have a family. So we bargained <laughs> with them and we all decided on 30 nights of sex to save your marriage, which is a little long, but it works. But we can happily call it 30 nights. That's it's sort of its uh, native name. Well, we it's like it's nickname. It's his, <laughs> nickname. That's better. <laughs> now that we've said it, it has been it's uh, Ibid. 30 yeah. nights Ibid. Uh, we yes, can refer to perfect. it that, uh, for the rest of the, the, the film. Is, I, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about what the film is about. Uh, we are talking about this on uh, presumably the eve, uh, hopefully, that it actually drops in Amazon on Amazon Prime and, and uh, in Amazon itself. And so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what the film is about and then we'll get into some Q&A for you. Sure. 30 Nights of Sex to Save Your Marriage follows a married couple, Nick and Willa. Uh, they both have a son. They've been married for a long time and as can happen to adults in their middle age. Um, the spark, let's say, has sort of gone out of their marriage. And so after asking for help from their friends, they undergo a 30-night sort of experimental challenge with a renowned yet very eccentric um, relationship therapist played by Dan Fogler. And he sort of tasks them with the task of having to have marital intercourse every night for 30 nights straight. No exceptions, as he screams at you. And um, there's different assignments for every night. It starts off very vanilla. It gets very kind of out of control at times. And you just sort of go on this journey with the couple trying to save their marriage, trying to save their family. And we wish them a lot of luck. I, I, I have to... Now, we're all... The, you're talking to three middle-aged guys with great marriages. Right. It, no and so worries. what I'm about to say comes with the caveat that everything's great here. <laughs> You're saying, why not make it six? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> We're all very virile. I, I get it. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Steve or Andy, but I do want to say I, uh, I thought going into this movie that it was going to be more slapstick than it was. A title like that. Uh, it, it, and it's it's not as slapstick. It's not as like just um, joke after joke after joke as I expected it to be. And mm. uh, the 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 major arc of their relationship. Um, yeah, I, I I'm just going to say I related to it. Uh, it's been married oh, a long that's time, great. and so I, I found it. Sure. I did not expect. Okay, so two questions. I did not. I'm not sure because I know how funny you are as a funny guy, but I also oh. know the kind of movies that you're principally into. And it surprises me that you uh, that this is your debut feature film. Can you talk a little bit about your experience going in there? Why isn't there more murder 
in this. And <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> there's not a single Jacob's there, ladder. No, in the entire it's thing. Not We're a never in bit Brazil. Of that. <laughs> um, it actually comes from this started as a short film. Um, both uh, the co-stars, co-leads. I'm sorry, uh, the amazing Mandy Kaplan and Johnny Jackaloni. Uh, uh, both were filming an independent feature, kind of like ours. That one never actually ended up coming out. So kismet for us. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, Mandy, during that, uh, pitched an idea for a short for him, which is, it was actually based on a something that one of her friends had gone through, that the spark had gone out of their marriage. And they did a very different than ours, but a 30-night sex program. Um, they're now divorced. <laughs> But she's very happily new married. But Mandy was like, this seems fertile. And they pitched me. They were like, we want to write this as a short. And they pitched it to me so I could be the director. Um, we made that uh, years ago. And it ended up being having a very good festival run. Mandy won Best Actress. We won two different Audience Favorites Awards. But one of the things that I remember saying when they first pitched it to me, it was called... Um, was at a deli, doesn't matter what it's called, but I said, you know, this is a feature. There's room to spread in this for a feature just to keep in our mind. Now we all went, ha ha ha, because we weren't anywhere close to making a feature back then. <laughs> um, but what I realized that I needed to do in order to give myself, if I can be completely honest, the courage for my first directorial feature is I needed a team that I really cared about and I really trusted it. And the fact that we all re wrote the feature together, that Johnny and Mandy and I are so different in so many different ways, but really complement each other in a way that I think is amazing. And then when we brought on our line producer, who was so incredible, she was immediately promoted to producer. That's uh, Liz Vakovic. She's the reason that it doesn't look like I made the entire film in my apartment. <laughs> like she's like a grown up movie person. We were like, how do you do this? And she sort of made the world come alive. She's amazing. Um, so it, it wouldn't have been, you're not the first person to ask that question, Pete, of like, oh, like a romantic comedy. If you want to call this a romantic comedy, that's my least favorite <laughs> genre. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved the challenge of it. I loved the idea of the short was really just 30 little skits. This, the idea of having to have this arc with both the look of it, the coloring, the lighting, and then also, of course, the story elements and the character arcs. I felt like it was doable. And a lot of it would take place sort of in one house. So that helps with a lot of the um, uh, budget concerns. And really, it was sort of, we knew it was almost like cheating because we'd made part of it before we knew some things that really worked. And so that gave me the confidence to then know if we're all in this together, I think I can maybe do it. As a follow-up question to that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I mean, I went to film school and one of the things that your uh, professors will teach you and uh, a lot of people say is, is write what you know. And so I, I think, I don't know, I'm just- Weird, right? Very curious. I, you know, like, this was the one that- uh, <laughs> I know, because I'm not married. I have a dog. Um, that's it. I have a dog. I always say that as if that's a explanation for why I'm not married. It explains a lot, but it might not explain that. <laughs> right. The basic idea is that I am very invested in all of my friends' marriages and with their kids. And so I have a ton of input from them. And then Johnny, who was married previously, Mandy, who is still married, they had very different outlooks onto things. Um, I won't say who is who. One of them, the idea would come up of the idea of having 30 nights straight. And they were like, 
bring it. And the other one was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say whose was who, but it was, I think it helped in the way that the three of us wrote the script. It was a very democratic process in that um, each of us, you know, two votes against one. If really, if two people thought this is what works, then we'll do it. Even if someone dis- disagreed, I think weirdly not having been married or having kids or having had sexual intercourse for 30 nights straight, as far as you know, <laughs> helped me be a little bit of an arbiter of a little bit of like an everyman in that of, I can see it from without having it bringing my own sort of biases or feelings about marriage, kids, sex, all of that to it. It's weird. It's the opposite of right what you know, but I think I was able to help sort of mitigate a lot of those experiences because of that. Just shifting gears a little bit, what was the production process like for this? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, you you co-wrote it with uh, two other people, uh-huh. and, and then what was the just? I mean, how long of a shoot did you have? How complicated was it? Were you stressed out the entire time? Was it an easy peasy production like every production is? <laughs> sure, right. It was. It was. I remember napping through most of it. I woke up and I was like, "We're almost done." Um, uh, no, I mean, it is a invigorating and it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and also the most rewarding it's been it was so much in the beginning like during pre-production all I was doing was kind of hiding panic that I was feeling (laughs) of like I'm kind of in charge of this like at the end of the day everyone's going to be looking at me and I felt like such imposter syndrome I felt like I was just faking it and they're all going to know and I kept having versions of like dreams at night in the pre-production of just being in this like boardroom and everyone that I knew all being like, well, we're ready for the next shot, but we have no information. What are we going to do? And staring at me. None of that is exactly (laughs) real. What I was able to do. Okay. To answer clinically, your question is, yeah, we had about a month, a month and a half of pre-production, which was great. Liz of Akovic again, Really, she had worked with our DP on a different project. She'd worked with the first AD. Um, and uh, she brought a lot of the team together for us, giving us options. Of course, you know, we would meet with three or four different people for every position. But she really helped create the world for us. And we, we bought her an office or rented her an office in a garage somewhere. That's where Foster lived for a while uh, <laughs> while I was out doing location scouts and all of that. Um, the production itself, we shot for only 14 days out of Oof. 16 days. So it's a 14-day shoot over 16 days. We did have two days off or one day off and one day off kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was just general, yeah, Hollywood stuff. I mean, we were really taking it seriously Everyone was working. We were SAG ultra low budget. So we're very, very low in SAG. And after is giving us sort of some okays for that. But I mean, 12 hours, we're out 100%. So there were times at some days where I was was just yelling at actors, making it hopefully fun, but like, (laughs) we're not walking back to one. Like, go, 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 go. I'm looking because I really wanted to take it seriously because I knew that the crew was so amazing that they would be okay with it but like i don't i don't want to ever take advantage of them everyone was working yeah. for less than they were worth everyone was so phenomenal and um yeah it was just it was a rough schedule i mean the biggest problem is time it's always time yeah you don't want to have that uh conversation where you know the the crew picks their kind of point person and they have the little sit down chat with you 
about how things are going to go now. (laughs) Disaster. I mean, that would be, that was something that I really prided myself on. And I, I guess I had the director. I assume (laughs) that they were telling me the truth, but I got a ton of, we got, I was, I shouldn't say I, we as the producers, Mandy, Liz, Johnny, and I got a ton of compliments for running such a happy set. I'm not a screamer and I've never understood that idea uh, unless you're in horrible trouble or James Cameron. And uh, we got such great feedback from such legendary actors like Jenny O'Hara, Alan, Katie Wilder. I mean, there's so many people that have been acting for so long. Dan Fogler, of course, that one of the biggest compliments we got as a whole, uh, Johnny, Mandy, uh, Liz and I as producers and me as director was, um, it was such a professional set and such a happy set. And they said that the two things that they've, a lot of them, a lot of the crew came up to me at different points and said that the two things that they were worried about because they'd worked with first, first time directors before and that I didn't show was um, panic or ego. Okay. And those are the two things that I tried not to really have. Ego and panic, that's the sign of every director who doesn't feel like they know what they're doing, which I was always worried that I was. You want to project a certain amount of confidence, but also be inclusive and nice and try to make it sort of a nice atmosphere and stuff. And uh, it was I was really happy with all of that. And that's a tricky balance because they also expect you to be the decision maker. And so you have to you know find that place to Correct. ride that line. You don't Correct. want to all of a sudden be like, oh, well, what do you think? And you, yeah, so it's it's tricky. So it is tricky. And there were times I never read anyone the riot act. There were times where some people, some departments or something let me down a bit. And they definitely knew that, but not in a public way. And instead, I used that way of just sort of being like, I'm displeased. And therefore, you are required to work with me to find a solution. And then we would. And then we'd all be friends. That seems like the nice, instead of saying, figure this out while I go and have a latte, because I do not drink latte. I'm keyed up enough. So, so, so Tommy, if if you could go back to your pre-production self and give yourself two pieces of advice, like one thing to not worry about and one thing to make sure you focus on, what would those two things be? It's sort of like, what did you learn that you would take with yourself? Man, great question. What I would give, well, the advice I would give myself is... Always remember that you have this amazing team around you and you're not just alone. No one is staring at you, waiting for you to come up with everything. It's such a collaborative. I like to, as a director, I'm a very collaborative director as far as like in the Mm -hmm. short films I've made and stuff, um, while also still being the final decision maker. Um, But I like that. I like being in a situation where with actors, you can have them pitch some lines. Or something, you know, we can change things around. Or with the, of course, with our amazing, Carol McClintock was our amazing uh, director of photography. And she would change, not change, but she would suggest new camera uh, things on the day once she was there in the moment. And just to be able to know, I guess the best thing I could say is to know that it's all going to work out. To just sort of believe that it's all going to work out. And to use that sort of reserve of strength. I feel like I have that now, now that I went through my first film and there were so many hurdles and so many roadblocks, we lost a location the day before we were supposed to, in the middle Oof. of the shoot, the day we were supposed to film this really big sequence, we, they were like, no, we couldn't get the clearances. What was, uh, what, because, just now uh, that we've seen it, what was the sequence? What'd you lose? Um, the sequence where uh, it was uh, Alan and the uh, their son, uh, played by the amazing Duncan Joyner, are playing 
uh, with Nick. It's Nick's father yeah. and uh, Alan's grandson playing. They end up playing, in a, uh, yeah, like ski ball or playing something. Foosball. In the front, not foosball. Foosball. <laughs> Wiffle ball in the front yard. Yeah, Wiffle ball. You said yes. foosball. Because uh, Tommy's next film is going to be a sports <laughs> biopic. Look, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing I don't know about, it's clearly sport. So I thought they were playing cribbage. I apparently don't know what anything is. So they end up, uh, but what the we entire- get in the film, they're in the front yard of the yeah. right. house. The entire scene was written. They're both fake fishing in oh. Oh. with their legs okay. in the water. And they have this. We ended up cutting the song out of the movie, but there was a song that they were singing that becomes a body. And Nick's like, hey. And the father's like, what? It's fine. Yeah. And he's like, what? But you used to be so strict with me, oh, that kind okay. of dynamic. But we, the night before, we were filming late at night at the, I don't think this is too much of a <laughs> spoiler, but the sex dungeon. When Fantastic. they go to, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, when they go, and that is an actual, um, what would you call that? I shouldn't call it a dungeon, an S&M A BDSM room. club, right? A BDSM culture oh, okay. room yeah, that, so we, that we filmed in. Kelly uh, Hancock plays the dominatrix. Correct. She is, a, she is an actor. She's an amazing yeah. actress, and she came in and blew it out of the park, and I still... <laughs> Hope that she enjoyed the experience. <laughs> she was amazing, but I could always sort of wonder of like, I don't know, like this is cool, right? <laughs> I don't know. She was she was so great, and she has like just a couple lines, but she's so striking in it. I just always wanted her to really like me and really like the experience. I think I think she. But either way, we were there at like uh, 10 p.m. Uh, filming the next morning early because we had a tight turnaround and that's when we learned that we lost the location. So then we moved it to a completely different location that we had actually scouted for the hero house. And then Johnny and I, uh, just because Mandy was busy getting in that outfit, Mm -hmm. I won't tell you what that outfit was, but she was having trouble breathing because that thing was skin tight. Um, Johnny and I were writing the new version of the scene. Okay. Ooh, wow. Of all of that had to change because the entire dynamic, it was all based around water and pool and stuff. That's just one of those things that happened. That, uh, that scene, the, the, I want to talk about the BDSM, uh, club some more. I like a lot more. Uh, <laughs> on, it's, it's going to get a hot. Sure. Yeah, hot no, yeah. no, it, it, it's one of those. Can we get the address? <laughs> <laughs> I can actually tell you that that is just in, I'm not, of course, not going to tell you where it is, but. That is just in a neighborhood. Uh, someone that owns that has just created that atmosphere in her house and hasn't really told her neighbors. Wow. And it's just like this thing. And then she picks up clients from two blocks away, blindfolds them, brings them there. And when you walk into the house, it's just a house. And then when you go into the garage, it is not just a garage. Wow. <laughs> he was great. We found her on, I think, like Craigslist or something. She was amazing. Of course, I'm not going to tell you any yeah. of her name or anything. But if she ever listens yeah, to this, wow. she was incredible. And just, yeah. Well, it's one of those sequences where we get um, a, a, a little bit of some comedy cutting, right? Because he's getting this tour and... Uh, and then the the dominatrix character says, "And this so is much that," and then and then we get right. that quick comedy whip cut to uh, uh to right. Willa, Willa, and like Capella, Capella, <laughs> right, Willa, Capella, yeah, Willa. So Capella. we get to Willa, yeah. and and she is now she's already dressed in the in the outfit, 
and comedically hope like yes. too quick. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's supposed way too to be quick. realistic. And it's, it's yeah. not. Uh, it's it's not. Obviously, it's not meant to be realistic. It's meant to be that comic cut, and uh, it, it's absolutely worth a chuckle. I, I want to talk a little bit about the balance, like maintaining the balance between like the sex and the comedy and the heart, because you've got all three going on in this thing, and it's um, I like. I found myself, I, I think I'm too close to you. And I know Johnny and Mandy, uh, you know, from afar, I'm way too close because the, I've seen the film twice now. And all I can think about is how did they like do that? Like, who's the, who's the like randiest one of the three of them who came up with the sexy jokes and <laughs> how did they keep a, a leash on that person? And I mean, maybe really a leash. I don't know. What do you do? <laughs> as soon as we got into the writer's room, we'd all put on leashes. We'd all establish safe words and then we'd get uh, Chipotle. Right. Um, the, it was a neat compliment of all Mandy Kaplan is a joke machine. She wants everything to be a joke, joke, joke. With no discredit, Johnny also is incredibly funny, but Johnny Jackaloni really injects a lot of the heart. He comes from a lot of like whenever the movie kind of like slows down and we really have a moment that comes from Johnny being like, guys, we can't remake the short. We can't just remake this sketch film. Like we really have to keep checking it because Johnny actually did the hero work. He broke the back of the original screenplay, which changed immensely, but he kind of went off for like a couple weeks and just wrote out uh, a really good version of what you would call a vomit draft mm -hmm. of getting it all out there. And we were always using that as our shaping and Mandy and I would just come in and sort of shape things and change. Um, but I don't know. Cause I have a really absurdist sense of humor. Mandy uh, is very body. Johnny is very body. We all kind of complimented each other in different good ways like that. And then one of the other big hurdles was unlike the short when we changed around nights because it was all, there wasn't really a character arc. We could sort of do whatever we wanted. Changing things around for this, that was one of the challenges that I really liked about this movie. Why I was interested in directing it as my first one is it's this very intricate sort of Tetris game. We give you the promise of 30 nights. Mm -hmm. We have to give you 30 nights. And then we're trying to make this arc, but those nights changed direction. After we filmed them, once we found out how it worked and looking at it in post, getting some uh, 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 eventual feedback and stuff, like there's some ADR that we tried to hopefully isn't too odd, obvious. Like we really moved some stuff around in order to really cement the arc of the characters. Um, and that was really exciting and really hard. I would like to think that it's different in some movies that it's even more of a puzzle. That in post-production, you've set up this whole line and this whole look. Um, and I'm interested to see what people think if we actually achieve that or not. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I, I understand what you're saying because you've, you've got, you know, when you're working with a sketch where you don't have to have that character development arc. Because for, for me, watching this for the first time, I think it was the... The night with the food and the like nacho chips where there's right. to me, I just sensed a pivot God, that in night. the relationship. Oh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're just I felt a pivot there and things. And I, that's where I realized, yeah, this this is moving beyond gag, gag, gag on these on these nights. There's a, a development of this relationship. There's a transformation between this husband and wife that's going on here um, that we get in the scenes with. You know, Dr. Yang, we get that with the conversations, but it was in those intimate moments with each other that 
we also see that. And to me, that's that's the tricky balance of how do you play those? Because that's what people are coming for. They want the they know the gags are going to be there, the sex jokes, all that. But to weave in the relationship piece is a really tricky juggling act. And I think, yeah, I could see that happening. And I, I can't imagine the nightmare that was to to balance that out. But I mean, it, it, <laughs> to me, it was it, it, it worked well. It really worked well. So if I was alone, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah. The fact that yeah. we that I had two collaborators and the fact that there were three yeah. of us, eventually four of us. But then by the time that Liz became producer, I was director. So I got to make the final decisions. <laughs> I got to break the fake democracy that we had. But that's a great <laughs> lot that's a great night to bring up because that's something that almost is completely unchanged, one of the few unchanged from oh, the short. Interesting. And we got so much um feedback from that in the short of like, this is when I really started to love mm -hmm. the couple, or this is when I noticed mm -hmm. that I was yeah. more invested than I thought I was. And then that's Johnny Jackaloni's uh, brilliance in having that post chip dump mm -hmm. scene. I know audience, you don't know what we're talking about. You haven't seen the movie. I was on Uh But then past that, that little silent moment of between the two of them, that was all him. We ended up writing it together, but he was like, we need a quiet check. -in. Yeah. We need yeah. to settle down. And he had a great vision. He had a better vision for that. And one that I have much better on now than I did. Because I'd only really directed just sort of straight comedy stuff. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of those things that I think you have in you anyway. Because, I mean, I mean, as, as a person who loves horror movies like you do, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, I think any genre, it's really going to apply, you know, and if you were you doing need a to horror care movie, about you, the would, you would be the guy saying, you know, we have to have that quiet moment to set up the big right. scares, you know? And right. so it's just, it's, I think it's intuitively in you. It's just, you know, thinking about it in the romantic comedy terms, I think was, you know, kind of maybe what was putting you, um, you know, where you didn't quite see it, but it obviously is there. And I think now you're like, of course it's there. Yeah. Oh, it makes it, it would be so bad without it. So much yeah. worse without yeah. it. And it became, even while like writing it, it all sort of broke open for me. And so I'm so thankful for uh, Mandy and Johnny for sort of like leading me through that because, um, yeah, the original, because I had done a lot of little like script notes and stuff on the first, on the short version, but a lot of it was just to make it more, even more rat-a-tat-tat. Well, I, I think speaking of that, of, of that pacing, like knowing when that turn has to come, that moment of silence, I think that, you know, I kept just sort of reflecting on how hard it is to make the decision of when that comes, uh, because every one of these nights is like has the opportunity to be just blatantly, stupidly funny and and heartless. Right. Which is what I, I get a sense of from the short that it's just a series of gags like that's the opportunity that you have to avoid yourself of here. Right. Right. Is, is yes. not just making a series. And to know when to have it paced just well enough to actually deliver the jokes and some of the harder core jokes and and and, you know, sight gags and, you know, really know when to turn that off uh, to give us a chance to to stop and and feel like we've gotten to know the characters as well as they're getting to know each other again. And I think that was, I think that yeah. was well done. I hope we did it. That's great. I'm yeah. so glad that it worked for you guys. I mean, because that's, yeah, there's a lot of lines that we're walking, not about like the comedy line, but just, it was tough. The tone, one of the things that I really, maybe to my detriment, wanted to avoid uh, was the, what I call the long way down 
uh, it's that Judd in Judd Apatow films, which is great that I'm criticizing Judd Apatow because <laughs> he's him and I'm me. And you can see that my sink is broken in the back of it. Um, is just for me, uh, because if, if people ask us to compare this film to other ones, the closest we've kind of gotten sometimes is like maybe a Judd Apatow kind of, or an uh, Judd Apatow train wrecky kind of a Paul Feig kind of mm-hmm. thing. But um, I personally like to avoid too much of a dark night of the soul mm-hmm. that at that turn in act two where it's just the bottom, yeah. the bottom uh, where it's so important but i feel like some films now more than ever they don't just have one person to apologize to they have nine people to apologize <laughs> to and it just kind of <laughs> takes over the film and then there's a speech that they break into and then this kind of stuff i was hoping that we could avoid that we do have a uh dark night of the soul part it involves therapy and a party that goes wrong and then a very bad therapy stuff like that and then a mea culpa or is there um but uh yeah i i wanted to try to avoid that if we could because just for me when i get into those parts of movies especially romantic comedies i'm already that's my version of romantic comedies fake things jumping on fake things jumping around on fake things like i'm like i get it we have to go through this but is there any way i could go bloop, bloop, bloop. yes i still own a tivo and like just speed through a little bit of that that kind of thing so hopefully that kind of worked too because i did really want to honor the pathos of the characters and their emotions uh but that was also I wanted to try to keep that moving. I'm actually glad you brought that up because one of the things I wanted to ask you was which of the characters in here was CG because it's flawless. (laughs) There's a guy that plays a jogger. (laughs) He jogs by at one point. Uh, The one thing you can't see is because I, the joke is that I, I make a, I was bullied into it, a cameo as a jogger who looks in on something pervy. But I'm dressed as the most stereotypical yes. weird jogger. It was the headband. Oh, but it's also the shorts. I don't know if you can see, and the socks and the shoes. Our costume wow. department was so amazing. I was like, "You're going to see me from the, uh, you know, like the neck up." And they're like, "Well, here's your backstory, <laughs> and here's a whole wardrobe that you wore for the week." And I was like, "Oh my god, they were all so amazing." Yeah. Because we were like, it was, I mean, this was so different than anything I directed before. When we moved into Hero House, for instance, I mean, it was like an army invading a house. I mean, we, the crew is 40 to 60 strong. And what I also learned is you can't just sort of like, everyone just can't hang out in the bathroom. Mm. Like everyone needs to have spaces. (laughs) You need to have a production office in your house, like scouting locations, which Liz uh, Vakovic, again, I keep bringing up her name because she's such a champion, but she was just like, oh no, I know you like this room, but you have to think of the world. There's so (laughs) many people. Where are you going to put makeup? Where are you going to put hair? Where are you going to put all of this? Where are you going to put all of the grip stuff? Where are you going to put, I mean, you have to, it's just, you're, there's so different than working just gorilla on a short. It's just fascinating. I loved it in a way that was also terrifying and really hard. (laughs) But it gave me so much more respect, even more than I already had for filmmakers, especially indie filmmakers. I feel like I interrupted Steve a long time ago, but I'm, with a stupid joke. And no, so no, I that wasn't give him a, a stupid joke. Oh, no, I'm no, sorry, no, Steve. It wasn't a stupid joke. I was going to, Pete, I was there. I was going to ask about the CG. 
Uh, and and the DAG. No, 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 no. Oh, no. so not only did I interrupt you, I stole your. No, no, no. I w- that was that was that. I was going to ask if there was you know digital de-aging going on, but no. The other piece um, <laughs> only it, on the jogger. Weirdly, just yes. on me throughout the entire filming, and I'm in one scene. But I was like, look, this isn't working out. This whole face I've got going on. But because I haven't seen the short, because uh, because we start yeah. with. Uh, and we get it introduced, you know, several times throughout is the the video footage from the wedding. So the, the flashback flash from the original so now, wedding. Is that yeah. part of the short or was that an additional piece that was nope. added for the character? Because that's that was actually something that I okay. pitched that I got very turned on by the idea of wanting to have the past comment on the present. Yes. Um, I don't know if we did the best job that we could have. And part of that is because so many of the nights changed around. Originally, there was a little bit more one-to-one on certain things. And we had to cut an entire um, backstory thing that we had filmed just because it no longer fit anymore. But yeah, I loved that. I love that idea because I'm fascinated by non-linearity. Sure, that's a word. Things that are non-linear in film, I'm fascinated. Everything that I've made pretty much up until now has been non-linear. Like, I'm always wanting to go back and forth and back and forth. And uh, at some point, like my writing partners, even before Mandy, Johnny was like, well, at some point you have to, A, grow up, like tell a normal story and stop hiding your clear... You're, clearly, you're uncomfortable with your own writing ability. So you hide it behind so many tricks. Instead, tell a story from A to, I don't know, B. I'm like, Ugh. Well, I, Then I have to be like, what? Establishing shots? Oh, boy. That's why the establishing shots are so terrible in the movie. I'm bad at the nuts and bolts No, I think it, it, you... Um, I mean, you... It, I, but did you yeah, like that, it's, that it's, stuff? Because I don't see it as a gimmick. It's, I think, a necessity right. in the story. If we're going to start with a couple whose marriage is on the rocks and they're going to commit to this challenge, we've got to be rooting for them and we've got to get that early to see where they once yeah, were that, that really right. set the stage for, I need to, in a typical rom-com, you've got the whole meet cute and that time to fall in love with the relationship here. We've got to sort of like cook that in really fast. And I think that was accomplished with that wedding footage. It revealed so much about the heart oh, of that relationship yeah. so that I, I had a reason to be, you know, cheering for this, you know, to be a success because I'm in love with that couple that I see at the beginning and can, you know, relate to and identify people I know that are in similar situations, you know, later in life. And yeah, we've got to have a reason. Otherwise it's, it's, you know, we've got other couples that will fall apart. So, you know, you could have gone dark with that of 30, 30 nights of sex and your marriage falls apart or, you know, again, go, go the traditional route of, how are we going to get them back together and why and who are they and what do they need to get back in touch with and why do we as an audience want to go on that journey with them? And I think I didn't think of it as a non-linearity, you know, gimmick. It was, this is how we get to know our characters quickly and efficiently. That makes me feel that insight and your thought makes me feel great. Cause that's exactly what it was supposed to. Cause we're, we were presenting you as it starts with a broken right. couple. Yes. And yeah. we learned after writing that, you know, starting of like, wait, no one's seen the short. Yeah. Like, no one cares. <laughs> like, I was like, well, everyone's going to be rooting for him because it's Johnny and Mandy. <laughs> well, yes. And then people are like, wait, who's, John- no yeah, who's Johnny and Mandy? <laughs> who's Johnny and who's Mandy? Are only seven uh, yeah, people so going like, to see this movie? <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, 
Oh yeah, you guys know it's not really being released. On <laughs> <laughs> this is just for you guys. Well, this, was, this is a T. This is a the next real just yeah, TNR production release. Just yeah, premiere. Production. This is a part of our Patreon. <laughs> Give us money. We made you an entire film. Let's just say, it's much more expensive than we expected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, weird, right? I, you know, I that was the my first comment when uh, the first time I saw the movie was, man, this is a downer early. Like I already feel like my relationship is falling apart and it's only been five minutes i need to go hug my yeah. wife like uh and so i i think that uh to steve's point i think that was that's that's yeah. really well architected to actually and the tie back to the you know we we have a place for the stains and we have a place for the i mean it sets the stage for so right, much yeah. that that happens later the callbacks are are you know earned and pete you actually saw an early yeah. version a very early version of the movie the one that you originally saw we went much deeper and darker and sadder yeah. right away. We had a whole like sad montage that I had <sighs> cut to see as breathe me from the, um, from the, what's that show on HBO um, about the family that lives in the, the uh, funeral home. Oh, Probably six feet under, matter. six feet under. Yeah. It's the six. It's the famous Six Feet Under finale song, yeah. "Breathe Me" by Sia, <laughs> and I d filmed this whole silent sequence and stuff. And I was like, "See," because my whole thought was, "Remember that sad part that John Avenue does? I did it in the first fifteen minutes, so now we can just have fun." And all original reviewers of like first, like not reviewers, but like people that we went to feedback were like. <laughs> yeah, like heart sick. Pump the brakes. Third act in the first act, Sally. Like we don't even know these people. I barely remember that his name is Nick. What are you doing with the sad walk of the soul montage? So all of that got cut. So no, I do remember, especially what you saw. Yeah, uh, Pete, where you were like, oh, well, this is the most depressed comedy I've ever seen. Well, in the you know that that was absolutely true. I was, but yeah. when I after I medicated and came back to it, it I I felt like I was able to finish the movie, and and yeah. that got to another one of my comments, which I think is falls in the same vein, which is uh, one of the I, I'll say harder core uh, sex nights. Uh, that yep. that you moved, you moved to. It, it's not an end credits thing, but it's certainly oh, it's almost like, like an night twenty eight, yeah, uh, right. which you moved. And the way it played in the early draft did not work for me. And Correct. I chuckled heartily at this one. I thought it 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 Good. worked. It, it worked like it was it was a joke that played with me. I don't know. You know, people are going to see this and they're going to start making assumptions about Pete. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I want to talk about yeah. like how like how some of those like how it played like handling moving around some of those jokes, too. We got some great, we had a really good pool of people to go with feedback um, that each of us picked, I think, four to five people that we really trusted separately. And this is the, this, I, yeah, this is the four of us uh, that we gave it out to right. and then ask. And then we said, I came up with some sort of system. I don't remember exactly what it was, but if it gets one mention, you put it in this pile. If it gets, I think, three mentions, no, two mentions, then it has to be considered. Like, we really have to take it seriously. Because people, I mean, I've gone to, living here in Los Angeles, I've gone to tons of screenings when I first moved here, and I was like, I didn't like her necklace. Of course, what a dumb note <laughs> Like to give a filmmaker. Of course, she or he should like overlook that because I was nine. But, um, and we got, and so when there was a little bit of a consensus by enough of our things, 
then that's the other big hurdle, of course. And it's the forever hurdle for every filmmaker is the idea of killing your babies. Is you think that you have this perfect thing and your natural reaction is to go, well, you just didn't get it. Yeah. Because we set it up three scenes ago. I was very big on get that out of your head. If two to three people out of this group of people had this concern, it is a concern. You know, the, if the entire class fails, look at the teacher right. kind of a thing. And so we were, I was very strong on, we don't have to take every note, but we have to really, really look at it. And that was your note that you gave us about night 28, which is a big night uh, audience, as you will see. What you're telling me is that my note that I gave you is unoriginal, that clearly it was in the Pete just piled on with every other Yahoo we talked about. What I'm and- saying is I don't, I have my Gmail <laughs> set to like ignore your responses, <laughs> but the fact that you just brought it up, I have an anti-Pete <laughs> folder, but no, but I mean, like you were one of, you were one of my strongest people that really talked about that. And I think now where it is in the film gives it so much more of a yeah. punch because we originally had kind of a soft comedy landing. Mm-hmm. And now for better or for worse, it is what it is. I will say, and this is all setting up suspense for people. I really do hope that everyone listening does go and stream, watch, rent, buy, however it works on Amazon Prime. When this comes out, we'll be able to give you the link in this podcast. There was a chance, you know, you can have, I, I already, uh, as a director personally, I don't want to sound pretentious, but I disagree with the possessory credit. The idea of saying a Tom W. Yeah. the third film up top. I don't believe that that the directors necessarily need to do that. I think it's too much of a collaborative process. But then one of the things you can do instead is put it the first thing that you see at the end of the movie. And based on what night 28 happens, I didn't know if just thinking again of my family, I didn't know if I wanted to go straight from what happens in night 28 to it's me, everybody, the guy, the guy you, you grew up with and everything. So that's me being very proud of the film, but also a little gun shy about how hard it goes sometimes, if that makes any sense. I'm not sure if any of that is fun because we're all talking about things that people won't know you know it's a good setup people need to go watch the movie i I do want to talk a little bit more about credits because that's something that we talk about a lot is you know all of the all of the guild credits and and how you navigate that particularly because you had some names in this film that that um have shall i I mean is impolitic to say more significant representation than others no absolutely not no that was that was uh a huge part of the process we had great lawyers that we met through Liz Vakovic. Um, and that was sort of an endless, that's always there in the pre-production process yeah. of navigating the idea. It's funny. I mean, cause I would think that most listeners of this podcast would already know that, but the idea of a name coming up and saying and versus with is enormous. I mean, there's like the writers about just the tiny little differences of when your name name comes up with in uh, connection with all the other names, timing, if you have the word and or with, or now introducing all of that stuff is so regimented. And there were some, uh, the fights that happened between lawyers that luckily we were able to sort of say, you guys figure this out. Some that we had to sort of not go to the mat for no one was ever like really difficult, but dealing with certain lawyers, what can they do? They're doing the best they can do for their client. 
And, you know, there were certain lawyers that were real bulldogs about it. And we just spent a long time going over their contracts. And we're so lucky that everyone in the film was able to be in the film and we were able to come up with a good situation. Did you find that translated like uh, the the uh, in, in any way paralleled, like the lawyer fights? Like, did you have those sorts of, you know, interactions on set? Were they as were they as uh, haughty as their attorneys? Oh, the the yeah. actors. No, okay. the actors were all amazing. I think that a lot of what happens with this back and forth between stuff that I really think that a lot of actors and actresses have no idea that it's yeah yeah that they've but they put their stake in the ground and especially we were so low budget that even you know for someone like Dan Fogler who's in all of these new Harry Potter movies, the Fantastical right. Beasts and Where to Find Them, he's on Walking Dead right now understandably his representation was like are you like jerks <laughs> they weren't they weren't they were never rude to us but they were understandably very protective well i think when you sure. were shooting this was like fantastic beast territory right like didn't he just right go from then. you know uh what was that the, the one film to the five it, film yeah, commitment it, it was like, yeah well also like he did the oh. the ping pong movie the balls of fire and like i mean he like those oh balls of fury balls of that fury, was a while ago that was a long yeah. time ago like those yeah. are that that's kind of where he where he was and then you know you you and catch him skyrocketed yeah just when we kind of caught him and his people were rightfully very rightfully yeah. so like Okay, like <laughs> you're clearly a kid's table yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be very protective of him. And they were fair. And at the end of the day, you know, it was a lot of work. But at the end of the day, I think everyone got what they wanted, which was fantastic. But, but, uh, the, and yeah. Dan was amazing. How did with. you get Dan and Alan and uh, Jenny O'Hara? Like, uh, like, you know, how'd you lock those people? We... I would like to say that they liked the script. I mean, we had a casting director. Her name was Miriam Hoffman. And between uh, her and Mandy and Johnny, especially Johnny Giacalone, who have been actors for a long time in the business, they know different people and how to get to different people. And we were sometimes able to sort of circumvent past the... I mean, trying to just sort of throw a script on Dan Fogler's aisle we would never be seen or heard from again. But uh, due to uh, Johnny and Miriam and these different people, we were able to just sort of get through. And then they really responded to the material, which was great. And then we had a, you know, we would meet with them and luckily they were like, he seems like an adult. So I was like, great. I wore pants, um, which was very exciting. I left my big lolly, lollipop at home for once. And I really wanted it. My propeller hat. Um, but no, I mean, they, we really, I mean, we really, I, I, I mean, in Hollywood, we're, I would say we really lucked out. I mean, Katie Wilder, I mean, um, Lyric Lewis, who had just gotten off Mad TV and was on, about to be on AP Bio. I mean, all these people were blowing up or had been blowing up and they just, it seemed like they just found time for us. And it was like, they seemed to really uh, respond to the Chris Butler, who's in The Good Wife. He actually had been an actor with Johnny Jackaloni and something else. So he was so amazing to come and work with us. It was sort of, I mean, I had so little to do with, I take no credit for the casting except for not completely pooping my pants when I met them <laughs> and convincing them, I have a vision for this. Here are my thoughts about your character. We can make this happen. You'll be in yeah. good hands. 
And then luckily, we were also really able to do that. Did Chris Butler uh, pick out his own underwear? <laughs> no, that was... <laughs> Spoiler, no, that was definitely given to him. But he was fine with it. He was super game. Speaking of being super game, there is a moment in the film when uh, legendary actress Jenny O'Hara uh, in the script uh, smokes from a joint. She shares yeah. a joint with someone during a party. Yeah. Um, and I went up to her when she was in hair and makeup on the first day uh, and was like, and just so you know, like, you don't really have permission to necessarily smoke in the house. And I did, I, we're just going to have you sort of like hold it and stuff. You don't actually ever have to take a puff, just trying to be like really nice and stuff. And she gave me a face like as if that's the reason she took this role. She was like, you don't want me to inhale. I know how to do these things. Thought this was, that's thought that's what you wanted to see. And I was like, Oh, like you want to do it. She's like, of course, it's in the script. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I was back on my heels trying to take care of her. I was like, I'm so sorry. Of course, we'll clear it. Even if we don't clear it, it's in. Let's do this. And then she did it like take after take. You can see it in the movie. She takes it like a chip. And it's great. I was trying to protect her. And instead, she was like, get out of my way, idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jenny O'Hara. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah. uh, Tommy, I got to say, I'm just just so proud of you, man. I can't I'm just so thrilled <sighs> that it's up and it's Thank out and it's just it's it's delightful to have it not be a secret uh anymore. Well, right. the, and of course the big question now is like what is next? Yeah. What is next? 32 more <laughs> nights. No. We don't have any uh no, no, no. You got to do the Danny Boyle this thing. This isn't the 80s right, it's anymore. Not 30, right. 30 nights, it's 30 months of sex. 30 to say, months. 30 months. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one yes. night. It's one two-hour-long <laughs> night filmed in real time. It's not going to be you, Lars von Trier. Um, but we do have a movie-by-minute podcast yeah. ready. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. So we can dog mill it? Perfect. Um, uh, we have been starting to write more things. I mean, we've been pretty consumed with this for a while. Being such a small, you know, there's never been a team that we can just say, well, we did this, now give it over. Because we're so indie and so grassroots, we're the team. I was there for like a, about seven months straight in post-production every day with them. I mean, so was Mandy, so was Johnny. So, but we, I have an idea actually that I've had for a zillion years, a story that I came up with actually with uh, uh, TNR podcast host, JJ, mm -hmm. Justin Yeager. Um, uh, something that we've been kicking around for a long time that I wrote as a short, never made, that I think would make an excellent feature. And it's actually kind of like a horror thriller oh. kind of a thing. So much more maybe in my genre. And so we're hoping to maybe use, and then Johnny has some ideas. We're all sort of writing some separate things. So hopefully we can all work together on something again. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. That's what we like to yep. hear. Yeah. Thrilled for you, buddy. Glad to be able to uh, see this and, and uh, get it, uh, get more people in front of it. And just to remind everybody, they can check it out right now over at Amazon Prime. Is a hundred percent available on Amazon.prime. We are so Amazon.prime. Look, <laughs> I'm working it out. Internet, not my strong point. But we're so excited. Yes, we were picked up by Samuel Golden Films. We're already actually in eight other countries. We're in uh South Korea, Germany, Taiwan, China, 
some other places in Australia, New Zealand, I think were even available like on DVD, which I have no idea about. This is all happening with our sales agents and with Samuel Goldwood Films and with Shoreline Entertainment. But no, for here, for Canada and the United States and very soon for the UK, we are up on Amazon Prime right now. If you search for 30 Nights of Sex to Save Your Marriage, um, you can find us and... You know, I really love this podcast so much and I love the listenership. So you guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for uh, doing this uh, episode with me and for all the listeners, thank you for your support. And if you do watch the film, which I hope you do, I really hope you enjoy it. Tommy, what would it take for me to get the Chinese <laughs> cut of this film? Because I saw Logan in China and that was not even a film. Was it crazy? I can't imagine what made it out I of this movie Did in I China. say China? I don't think you we're did. in China. But we're in a okay. bunch of places. But we are, we did, we are, we're in touch with um, the people that did the dubbing in Germany. Hmm. Uh, the, oh, that's the, awesome. the female Willa yeah. uh, reached out to us on oh, Instagram crazy. and was like, I just did you for two weeks or something. We're like, ah, it's, it's fun. No, we're in, I probably should have looked it up, but no, we're in, we're in eight or nine different countries. So you uh, haven't for, had to do different nights for different countries. Cause I know Andy knows the complexities of international yeah. stuff. No, you we, didn't have to like, Hey, we need a different night 22 for not Russia. a different night, but we had to definitely yeah. have a clean cut. Oh, so there's okay. a, there's a cut of the movie uh, where Later. there's no subtitle at all like we had to give them in part of our deliverables which was ugh, deliverables deliverables was such a nightmare um but yeah deliverables we had to like present them out of our own pocket an entire version of like all the scenes that had text with no text all of the scenes with because there's so much text in the movie oh, yeah. on purpose yeah. like all the texting and the yeah. like this you have to give a clean version so they can do all of them right luckily they have to do them Oh, super right. fun. Oh, yeah. we don't have to, but we have to pay for like a clean version. Interesting. Yeah. That's right. Well, I was proud. For keeping a I really was proud of that part yeah. of we wanted to try to keep it kind of like timely in that that's how like couples <laughs> talk is it's not just yeah. sitting yeah. down around a couch facing the exact same way like in Big Bang Theory. Uh, <laughs> like they're like there's so much virtual <laughs> communication, which is fun. I this is it. This movie, I it just it took me a long time to get out of my head in it. But I'm telling you, that turn at the end in the third act was just, it just hit me just right. Just right. So I hope other people get the just, just right. The just right? Be good. Yeah. I think, I think it, it says Pete, Pete right. right, just, just right. right. Spelled uh, W-R-I-G-H-T. Don't do that. Sign of approval. Nobody thinks that's funny. I've lived with it all my life. <laughs> you guys are a, you're a damn riot. Okay. We love you, Tom. We're thrilled to check this out. We love you, Tommy. Yes. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for the time. Thank you for this special episode. And thank you, TNR listeners. I really appreciate your support. All right, everybody. Have a good night. We'll see you on the main show. Uh, I don't know. Whenever it comes out <laughs> after this one. That's right. Bye, everybody. Hondo, Hondo, Hondo. Did you finally climax together or separately like usual? I want a climax. <laughs> Thank you.
Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Egger's tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 